Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning, Generations Church online, our church family. I was watching during worship. I was worshiping along with you on a couple of our platforms and the comments this morning about worship and just welcoming one another and fellowshipping one another. I know it's not the way that we want to do it because it's not together in person, but thank you for jumping in with us. Thank you for participating online and watching online. And, and really, I love to see when people tag us in, in pictures and video on Instagram or on Facebook. And, and I see you, you know, standing in your living room for worship. Or I see your kids dancing around in the floor in front of you as they worship along with what we're doing uh, here online. And so thank you for that. I really, it really grows my faith and builds my faith and it helps me to feel connected to you. And hopefully you feel connected to our church family even in the midst of this season where we can't gather together. But we are gathering together in other ways. This last week, we hosted a few different uh, facility tours, uh, Tuesday night and Thursday night. Uh, We also had a great day yesterday with our Family Ministries Day at the Park uh, here in Cherokee Veterans Park, and uh, it was a really great time. We had just over 40 people that came out and played on the playground, and we threw some football, and we had Kona Ice, and just a lot of fun things there. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear about other things that we'll try to do with other ministries of our church, other groups of our church, other teams within our church, just to have some time to fellowship together. There wasn't a huge agenda yesterday. We just stood around and talked and maybe stared at one another like, hey, it's good to see you, you know, in person. I had one kid tell me that I was the first non-family member they had seen in about six or eight weeks. And, uh, and I, I think that was really fun. But hey, we're glad that we get to be together now. And I can't wait for us to come back together and worship together, which is coming really, really soon. Uh, you know, today I'm excited because we are continuing in the series that we started last week. And Pastor Trevor just referenced it. But uh, last week we talked about the idea that we are looking for the rest of the summer uh, in a study on the armor of God. And the armor of God is found in Ephesians chapter 6. There's other places throughout Scripture where it's referenced in different ways or different aspects of the armor of God are referenced. But Ephesians chapter 6 is this place where the Apostle Paul is closing out his letter to the people in the city of Ephesus, and he's talking to them throughout this letter about a lot of different things. It was different things about their faith. It was different things about living in community with one another. There's a great passage uh, in the chapter before that talks a lot about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 6, we talk a lot about parenting. And so there's so many different topics that are listed here in this letter as he's writing to them about how to live in faith and in community. And we come to this closing part of Ephesians chapter 6, just before his benediction, just before his closing prayer. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is what we read last week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what we said last week was as we talk about spiritual warfare, which may not be something that a lot of us talk about on a regular basis, perhaps, we believe that the struggles that are taking place in our world right now are not struggles between man to man, man to woman, woman to woman. That's not really what we believe. We believe that most of the struggles that are taking place around us are connected to this ongoing struggle that precedes our life here on earth. And, and should the Lord tarry, that's a, that's a phrase I heard a lot when I was a kid, or should the Lord allow for us to continue in the story of humanity on the earth before he chooses to return, then we believe that this battle will continue even beyond our time here on the earth. It is a spiritual struggle. And what I talked about last week is this spiritual struggle that's taking place. It's good versus evil, but I also want us to understand in proper context what kind of battle we're talking about. 
We are not talking about two equal adversaries that are fighting against one another, and we're just waiting to see who's going to win this battle, just like if we were watching our favorite sports team in a game against their rival, and we're, we're sitting there on the edge of our seat, or I told you when I'm watching sports, and it includes my favorite team, I'm standing up in my living room as the game's coming to the end, and I'm watching this thing play out because I'm just not sure how it's going to play out. I'm not sure who's going to win, so I may be nervous, I may be anxious, I may be uncertain. But in the spiritual battle that we're talking about right here, if you go past Ephesians and you go all the way to the end of the story that we have in Scripture, we actually get to see who wins in the end. And so in God's sovereignty, which is a word, again, that maybe you don't use on a regular basis, but just meaning that, that God in his power, in his wisdom, in, in the power that he has over the earth and the story that's being written in the earth right now, God has already chosen the winner. He already knows how this thing's going to play out, but he's also allowing things to take place in the fallenness and the sinfulness of this world so that the story that he has written comes to the place where the climax of this story, the return of Jesus Christ, the ultimate battle, the ultimate victory of the Lord comes to pass. And so while we may be feeling like, man, what I'm facing right now is completely overwhelming, and sometimes it does feel that way, while we may be walking through circumstances where we're not sure how it's going to turn out, which is completely normal for us in our human experience, I do want us to hold on to the hope to recognize that in the end, God wins. And so if it doesn't seem like God's winning right now, then it's definitely not the end of the story. And last week, we, we started talking about the specific parts of the armor of God. But before we did, we set up this reality that spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. Spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. You can use all the self-help techniques that you want. You, you can have all of the earthly knowledge that you want to acquire and try to apply that knowledge in the best way that you possibly can. But if we believe that there's a spiritual battle going on, then we also have to believe that spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. It's, it's really come to the forefront this past week, that there are a lot of things that are taking place around us. And just as we saw in the example where the disciples asked Jesus when they couldn't perform a miracle, but Jesus was able to, they said, why couldn't we do that? And he said, this kind is only done through prayer and fasting. Sometimes we make prayer our last resort. And unfortunately, I believe that as it relates to spiritual warfare and spiritual battles, we need to turn to God immediately we need to be talking to him all the time so that we can lean into his power and his strength, which is what we just read about, to be strong in the Lord and not strong in our own power. So today we want to continue looking at these different pieces of the armor of God, which we'll continue with throughout the summer. Look at this beginning in verse 13 of what we were just reading there in Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, which we talked about last week, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I want to show you a picture of what this could look like, this breastplate of righteousness. This is an image that would have been taken from kind of Roman military weaponry and, and garb that they would have had on as they were fighting in battles. And you can do your own Google search and you can see a lot of different things. It just depends on what portion of history you're looking at that would determine what that breastplate of righteousness that we're talking about that Paul would have been writing about. This would just be a breastplate that would have been worn by someone in that Roman military in that time. So Paul was giving them the image of, of of military garb that they would have had on. And you can look at it in a lot of different ways. Some of the things that you may find as you look at it or as you watch in movies, it may look like it is very fitted to their body. And it may look like something that I would want to wear because it's not the body that I have, right? Um, I have the dad bod, not the father figure. And so, you know, it's really chiseled and it looks nice. This just looks like metal overlaid on one another. 
But this would have been a protective piece of military garb to help in the the next line of defense behind the shield, which we're going to talk about the shield of faith in a few weeks as well. So as arrows are being thrown at someone, as a sword is being used in battle against someone, if if they're not able to use their shield to block themselves or to protect themselves, then the breastplate that they would have worn would have been this next line, probably the last line of defense, to protect some vital organs in their body. If you just think about them wearing this, you recognize that as it hangs on their shoulders, it's actually attached at the bottom to their belt so that the weight of this entire breastplate would not have been on their shoulders. It would have also been completely around their waist so that they would be able to to carry the weight of what would have been a very heavy piece until later technology allowed for it to be a little lighter. So the the belt of truth, which we started with last week, actually plays a part in, in holding onto the breastplate, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. And so if an arrow gets by the shield or if the sword gets by the shield, it hits up against their breastplate, it would have been able to protect their lungs. It would have been able to protect their heart. It would have been able to protect their, their intestines and their organs within their abdomen. And, and that's really important. It also had some protection and some covering for their back because they may not have seen an enemy that was approaching them from behind. And in, 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 if you read through Roman military history, you see that a lot of times they were taught, once they were in hand-to-hand combat, to fight back-to-back so that they could protect one another from an enemy that was coming up. But if maybe you lost your rear guard, your rear shield, then you had this breastplate that also extended to your rear so that you were at least somewhat protected from weapons that would come up behind you. Those things that you face sometimes that you don't even know that you're vulnerable. You don't even know that there's someone approaching And so that would have been another uh, advantage of wearing the breastplate in this military uh, moment. And so as we think about being in battle, we think about being in war, and we're wearing the right armor, we're wearing the right material to try to protect ourselves, I want you to think about some of the things that the breastplate would would have protected in your life. You think about your heart. Obviously, you got, you got blood pumping through your heart, but even, even beyond that, if you just think about the, the figurative nature as Paul is talking about the armor of God, it, it's our life-giving source. When we take communion as a church, I reference so many times that when Jesus hung on the cross and he had been pierced, and he had nail piercings in his hand and in his feet, and he had a crown of thorns on his head, and they, they stuck him in his side, and his blood spilled out of his body. It was the draining of the blood from his body, the separating of the, the life blood of his body, and his body still hanging. That separation that we actually get to reunite in communion, that we take this figurative, this juice that represents the blood of Jesus, and we reunite it with the, the, the cracker that is the figurative body of Jesus, and we reunite that because we see that the blood of Jesus was was shed it was it was poured out and so in battle what we're doing is we're protecting the life-giving source the heart that is pumping blood to, to the various places of our body that we need so that we can live and function in the way that God has designed us to live but if you just even think about all the the great love songs and how our hearts can be broken I think in spiritual battles if we're not careful it's because we haven't protected our heart we've given our heart away to so many other things. In the book of Revelation, we even see that the churches there that are being admonished, that they've given their heart away. They've lost their first love. In spiritual battles so often where I find myself vulnerable, where I find myself susceptible, is when I've given my heart away to things that my heart does not belong to. My heart belongs to God and God alone. Look at this passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. 
Guard your heart. How many people do you know, and maybe you find yourself in this place today, or you, you can re- remember, reflect on a moment in your life where you didn't guard your heart. You gave your heart away, and, and someone abused that heart. Someone used that heart and the affection and the emotion that you, you expended on them, and they did not reciprocate. Because so many of our human transactional relationships are, I love you as long as you make me feel the way that you made me feel initially, or I love you as long as you continue to do for me what you did for me at the beginning. And whenever that transaction becomes one-sided, they say, hey, I told you I loved you, but I'm leaving. And our heart is broken. And in spiritual warfare and in spiritual battles, I believe that the enemy loves to prey on our heart, to cause us to give our affection and our emotion to other things that that those things don't belong to. They, they belong to God alone. So our breastplate of righteousness, I believe, protects our heart. It helps us to guard our heart. I also was thinking this week about that breastplate guarding our lungs. You think about those lungs that are filled with air, filled with the ability to breathe in and out. I have a pastor friend this week that notified me that he had tested positive for COVID-19. And I asked him, I said, how do you feel? And he said, well, the first few days I felt okay. He said, but after about the third day, he said, I, I've, I've really just laid in the bed nonstop. This is a young man. And he said, I, I feel like there is an elephant sitting on top of my chest and I can't breathe in and out. If a normal breath would be 100% of my lung capacity, I feel like I'm constantly breathing at about 10 or 20% of that capacity, and I feel like I'm always short of breath and almost hyperventilating because I just can't catch my breath. And I think about the story from Genesis where God formed man from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed his breath into that man's lungs and gave him life. And I think about the idea that what the enemy would love to do is to kill, steal, and to destroy. He would love to rob you of life. He would love to to rob you of the breath of life that God has breathed into you. You were created in the image of God Almighty. And so many of us are walking around carrying an entirely different image because the enemy has robbed us of the breath of life that comes from God. And we've been trying to breathe in other things to find our identity and to find our life. And so to wear the breastplate of righteousness is to admit that we are filled with life given to us by God. And so we walk around with a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for who God is and what God has done in our lives. So what is this breastplate of righteousness? I mean, if in in the military it was covering these organs, and if there are so many things that are happening within these organs, whether it be literal or figuratively, as it relates to our life in relationship with God, what is the breastplate of righteousness that Paul would have been talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus has been talking about the tendency that we all have to worry and to to worry about tomorrow and to worry about what we'll eat and to worry about how we'll be provided for. And he says these words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, if you quit worrying about all of these temporal things and you seek first the kingdom of God, which is eternal, and you seek the righteousness of God, which we're going to talk about in just a second that we can take on, which gives us access to eternity, then all of the temporal things come in relationship with God. He provides for our needs. He cares for us in the way that only God can. He says, seek first his righteousness and none of the other stuff that you're worried about 
should you be worried about? It all begins to fade away when we focus our minds and focus our hearts and focus our attention on the things of God. But don't miss this important piece of this verse. We don't just seek it one time. We don't just put it on and say, I've got righteousness on me and now I'm done. The the word seek here, if you go all the way back to the original language, it is an active word. It means to actively seek and pursue in an ongoing basis the righteousness and the kingdom of God. I don't just believe this is saying a prayer one time. Now here's what I believe. Theologically, as I view God, what I interpret Scripture to mean, I believe salvation is a a moment. It is the moment that you acknowledge God. And you say to God, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I acknowledge my need for you. I ask you to forgive my sins, lead my life. I believe in that moment God forgives your sins and he saves you and that you can spend eternity with him. But if that is the extent of your relationship with God, I believe you're missing so much and I believe that you're lacking in some of the things that God is asking of us. I believe it's this ongoing seeking, this ongoing pursuit where God is more and more placing his character and his nature into us And that is this progressive work of sanctification, which we talked about over the last few months, where God is cleansing us of all unrighteousness and filling us with the righteousness that only comes from him. Now, here's what I don't want you to misunderstand, because we're going to reference this in just a few minutes as well. I don't want you to misunderstand that I'm saying that we work for our own righteousness. I believe in the moment that God saves us, we can take on the righteousness of God, but I believe that All of the works and all of the things that we do from that point forward are not works for righteousness. They are works from righteousness. They are works because of righteousness, that more and more our character should reflect the nature and character of God. And when we've taken on his righteousness and when we've we've said, God, I want to look like you, and, and the word Christian, which is not actually even mentioned in Scripture, if it means little Christ or follower or disciple of Christ, I'm saying, God, I wanna I wanna model what Jesus Christ was. I wanna follow in the ways of Jesus Christ. So wherever I don't talk like that, wherever my reactions aren't like that, wherever I lose my temper, wherever I I, I say coarse jokes and I and I'd laugh at things I shouldn't laugh at, God, would you help me not to do that now? Would you help remove that part of, of my heart and my life that doesn't reflect you? And God, would you fill me with more and more and more of your character? Not so that I've attained righteousness on my own by being a better person, but so that my own actions reflect the righteousness that I believe I have received from you as I seek continually who you are, and who you desire to be in and through my life. When we accept Jesus Christ, we should seek a transformed life. Every day we should be chasing after more and more of God's righteousness in our life. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For they will be filled. Now, if you've attended our church for any length of time, you know when I start talking and preaching on food, like it's about to get real. I love to eat. I love Mexican food. I love pizza. I love Burger King Whoppers and, and, and so many other things. There's, there's not a lot of genres of food that I can't eat. I love it. I really, really do. But you know what happens every single time I eat a meal? I eventually get hungry again. I've never had a single meal, no matter how full I feel at the end of that. When I'm walking out going, I can never eat another bite ever again. In about 30 minutes, I'm like, what are we having for dinner? What what are we having for breakfast tomorrow? What are we having for lunch after? Because 
The, the hungering and thirsting that we have in our physical bodies is temporary, right? The, the hunger and thirst that we have, like as soon as we quench it, we're working towards needing to be quenched again. But in the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached here, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, listen, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled, filled. You will be, that will be quenched in your life. And blessed are those, happy are those, sustained are those who constantly seek more and more and more of my righteousness. Because as you do, you will be filled and filled and filled and filled again. It is not a one-time thing. It should be a daily pursuit. What we say here at Generations Church is that it's not about perfection, it's about pursuit. God has never called you, not one day of your life, to perfection on your own. It's unattainable. It's not something you and I can actually do in our lives because we are imperfect and we live in a sinful, fallen world. And so it's not about perfection, it is about pursuit. It is saying, God, I am pointing my arrow toward you and my life is going to be about you. And wherever I slip up, Wherever I do something that doesn't reflect that pursuit of you, and maybe I've, I've started to turn away, I've, maybe I've started to do something that doesn't look like you and it doesn't draw me closer to you, God, would you remove those things from my life? Would you help me to identify them and to remove them from my heart? Give those things to you, and God, would you more and more fill me with who you are so that I may be filled by your righteousness? Look at this in Isaiah chapter 64. This talks a little bit about what we do or we, what we try to do on our own. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing. It says, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Like filthy rags. I mean, the writer here actually gets very descriptive in the original language. Like it's, it's, it's nasty rags. Not that you would put on and wear but once they got contaminated in the way that he's describing in the original language, you would have tried to remove them and clean them and put on something that was clean. He's saying, listen, we are all unclean. We don't even have the ability to be good enough. No matter how much we try, no matter how hard we try in our own efforts to be righteous, we always fall short. So instead of our own efforts, look at the effort it took to make us Righteous. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You and I will never measure up on our own. We will never be good enough. We can never be perfect. It doesn't matter how often you go to church and how much you give and how much you serve. And it doesn't matter what you do with your life to attempt to be right because it took the sacrifice of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross on your behalf so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. I love that the Apostle Paul, who also wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians, I love that he didn't say so that you might become righteous because there would have been the trap for all of us to believe that that means we could become ourselves righteous. But instead, he said we might become the righteousness of God. We can take on God's righteousness. The way that I've described this over the years as I tried to get this picture into my mind 
is I don't wear it very often, but I have a robe at my house that if I need to, I can slip it on, right? And, and my son Tucker, who was actually on stage earlier today helping to lead worship, my son Tucker, when he was a little boy, he loved to put on my robe. Well, the funny thing was, Tucker's not the same size as me. He still isn't. But when he was very small, like it, it was three or four or five times his, his body height or his weight, maybe more than that. And so he would put it on and it would swallow him up. And he would be drowning in fabric of, of my robe. When I, when I see that picture in my mind, it's the picture that I want you to think about when you think about God viewing you. That if you stand on your own, in your own righteousness and in your own efforts, what you, what you would do is you would stand there and God could only see you. But if we receive what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about, and we say, you know what, it was Jesus who knew no sin, who went to the cross on my behalf. He took on my sin. And because he took on my sin and became sin, I get to take on his righteousness. I get to put on the righteousness of God, the robe of God, so that in the moment that God looks at me for judgment, he looks at me to determine my right standing before him. He doesn't actually see me. He sees me wearing the robe of righteousness that was presented to me through the sacrifice of his one and only son. And he sees that righteousness, and he says, yes, you are my son, you are my daughter. You didn't try to do it on your own because your own efforts are filthy rags. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. There's no amount of right and good deeds that could ever allow us to stand before God holy and righteous. But when we take on the righteousness of God, we stand in place with confidence and boldness. It says, God, I have pursued you. I am not perfect, but I take on the perfection of Jesus Christ and the completed work and sacrifice of the cross to acknowledge that I stand here enough because of him. As I was studying this week, I ran across this reference that references some of the scriptures that we've just read. I'm going to read it just as I found it. It says, the breastplate of righteousness refers to the righteousness purchased for us by Jesus at the cross. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. At salvation, a breastplate is issued to each repentant sinner. It is specifically designed by God to protect our heart and our soul from evil and deception. Our own righteous acts are no match for Satan's attacks, Isaiah 64.6, which we already read. The breastplate of righteousness has Christ's name stamped on it as though he said to us, your righteousness isn't sufficient to protect you. Here, wear mine. If you want to stand firm against the enemy when the day of evil comes, and I believe we're in days of evil. As I've said for the last three or four weeks, I believe the enemy's working overtime. I believe we're in days where the enemy is fighting against us literally in ways we can't even imagine. Creating division among brothers, creating deception and deceit among Christ followers, causing those who are far from God to feel like they can never get to God because of who they are, what they have done. And I believe the enemy is active because he knows his days are few. And as we try to figure out how to stand firm against the schemes of evil, 
We cannot afford to stand there in our own good deeds. We cannot afford to stand there in our own self-righteousness. And there are some amazing people, good people who do good things that are watching right now. I know that. But if your attempt is to be strong enough on your own and good enough on your own, you are walking into battle wearing filthy rags that will not protect you. But if you and I will believe that there is a God who knows the end of this story and he knew it from the beginning. And when he created man and he created woman, he also had you in mind. And he had moments in mind just like this. And he says, you will go into battle this week. And you need to be equipped to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so instead of walking onto that battlefield wearing filthy rags of your own self-righteousness and your own good deeds and your own tenure in relationship with God that you think is enough, let me say to you, you need my armor. You need my righteousness. You need the belt of truth that is centered in your life that declares whose you are and who I am. And you need to put on my righteousness created for you through Jesus Christ on the cross to protect your heart and your lungs and the breath that I breathe into you. You are my son and you are my daughter and the enemy is no match for me. And today I would say to you that when you take on the breastplate of righteousness, and not our own filthy rags, and we lay them aside, and we lay them at the foot of the cross, and we say, I know that I am not enough, but he is enough, and I stand firm against the enemy. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is across this battlefield from me, and in the end, we win. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that if you've ever bought into the lie that you can be good enough on your own, that beyond salvation today, which you may need to respond to, you would say, God, I lay aside my self-righteousness as filthy rags. And God, help me to take on your righteousness, which will secure me and hold me and protect me against anything that the enemy is trying to use to kill, to steal, and to destroy the life that you have created for I'm going to ask you right where you are just to bow your head, to close your eyes as you sit in your living room or on your job. Unless you're driving a car right now, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. Just a moment of personal reflection between you and God where you can literally say, God, search me now and help me to know what it is that you're doing in me. God, search me of any wicked way that exists in me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. God, in this moment, right there where you're at, if you would say, Jeremy, I know for me that the, the obvious next step, the only possible next step is to acknowledge my need for him to be Lord and Savior of my life and to forgive my sins and to change my eternity forever right now. If that's you, would you just respond in some way? Maybe you lift your hand. And maybe you say something to a family member in the room. Maybe you, you click on the link that's in the chat where the platform that you're, you're watching on right now so that we can follow up with you. But you acknowledge publicly, hey, God is doing a private work in my heart right now because I know who I am. And I know what I've done. And I believe he can change your identity right now. From a sinner to a son or daughter of God right now. Maybe you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's, it, it's not really even about salvation perhaps, but I have bought into the lie that I can be righteous through my own works and good deeds, and I have attempted to become righteous through works, 
But I'm asking God to help me to lay that self-righteousness down as filthy rags and to take on the righteousness of God. And I want my works and my good deeds not to be for righteousness, but from a place of righteousness to honor the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I want my life to reflect more and more his character and his nature. If that's you, would you respond right now somehow? Lift a hand, tell a family member, type it into the chat. Let us know so that we can follow up and pray with you. Maybe you jump into the digital lobby in just a moment and you say, hey, just pray with me if you would so that we know how to help you in your next steps. God, we love you today and we thank you. We thank you, God, for the armor of God so that we don't have to stand in our own strength, but we can stand in the strength of God. God, I pray now for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that's watching in some other place or those that are in this facility, God, those that may be on vacation or on their job or in their home, whether they're by themselves or with their family or with friends, God, I pray now for every single one of us. God, I pray for those who've acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, would you forgive their sins from this moment forward, changing their eternity so that they would never be the same. We believe that you can do that. And so, God, we celebrate with heaven now for the decisions that have been made. And we believe that generations can be changed because today they're putting a stake in the ground and trusting you with their eternity. And, God, I pray for every person that says, you know what, I've been trying to wear my filthy rags of self-righteousness. And today I lay them at the foot of the cross and I take on the righteousness of God through the completed work of the cross. God, help us, myself included, Maybe those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time and we think our tenure in relationship with God or our ability to say the right thing or even to do the right thing is enough. God, it is not. It always falls short. Let us put our complete and total dependence in you. And God will give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.